One of the lessons I've learned in martial arts is that standing still is asking to be hit. If you stand still in business, your competition is gonna catch up. I start each morning practicing martial arts because it brings me bounce and focus. And I wanna know how others stay motivated as well. So join me for conversations on business, innovation, and entrepreneurship. I'm Dan Schulman. Welcome to Never Stand Still. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan Schulman, President and CEO of PayPal. And welcome to another episode of Never Stand Still. Today, I'm very fortunate to have a good friend, Shelly Archambeau, uh, on with me uh, today. Shelly uh, and I are um, uh, fellow board members at Verizon. Um, she chairs the NomGov committee. I chair the Comp committee. So we have plenty of opportunity uh, to interact with uh, each other. I've gotten to know her quite well over the last couple of years. Shelly is a accomplished uh, tech executive. Uh, she's had 30 years of experience, um, which is unbelievable uh, in the uh, tech industry. Um, she took over uh, Metric Stream when it was not just a startup, but honestly a struggling uh, startup, uh, and uh, brought that uh, from that startup into a global market leader. Uh, she is on four different uh, boards, uh, not just the Verizon board, but the Nordstrom board, the board of Roper uh, Technologies and Okta. Um, and she's also a strategic advisor to a number of different companies, the Royal Bank of Canada, Capital Markets Group. She uh, uh, consults with Forbes Ignite. Um, and Last but certainly not least, she is now an author um, as well. She has written um, a book called Unapologetically Ambitious. Um, and it is a book that I think everyone uh, who will watch us uh, today, Shelley, will be inspired by. Um, it's a very upfront, very personal book about fighting battles, how to fight them, how to really take charge of your own life. And um, uh, I've read it and was inspired by it. Uh, we bought a whole bunch of copies for uh, PayPal employees. Um, oh, thank well. you. Yeah, you're welcome, because I think the messages in there are uh, are universal and inspiring. So, Shelley, I just want to thank you for uh, joining me today, and it's such a pleasure to see you. Oh, you too, Dan. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks. So why don't we uh, jump in and maybe we start off um, in a place where I, I ask uh, most of our guests just to give a little bit of your journey to becoming really from one of tech's really first black female CEOs uh, in the Valley. Um, you, this was not an easy career path for you. You battled bullying, which you would call imposter syndrome. You had a bunch of other challenges in building uh, your career. So maybe you can uh, talk a little bit about that and how did you get to where you are today? 
Oh, thank you. And and you're right. It's uh, the odds were not in my favor, Dan. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I grew up uh, elementary school in the 60s, uh, which were very racially charged. Um, civil rights for as many people that wanted civil rights. You had just as many that did not. And my family, I was in the first grade and we moved to this area that was very homogeneous for the first time. I was the only black girl in my class, in my grade, I think in the school. Uh, so it was, it was hard. Um, and yes, the bullying, the abuse, verbal, physical, all that stuff happened. So it was clear to me from an early age that nobody really expected much from me, except from my parents. And that the odds weren't in my favor to get anything you know that i wanted so if i wanted something i couldn't just do what everybody else did because that would mean i'd end up with what everybody else got so uh it forced me to become very intentional about setting goals and trying to figure out okay if i want this how do i go get it and it really came down to some very simple questions i would ask myself dan that i've used throughout my entire career which is okay what's the goal well, if I want to achieve that goal, what has to be true? And then how do I make it true? That's really what I've done. And I was really lucky. Like many people, you know, teachers definitely played a role in helping me get through a, a lot of what I got through. But I had a guidance counselor that to this day I credit with my career because she's the one that actually helped me set my goal to become a CEO. And she did it because... I don't even think she realized what she was doing, but she basically explained to me that business was just like clubs and organizations that you're in when you're in school. And I loved clubs and organizations, French Club, American Field Service, Girl Scouts, you name it. And I loved leading them. And she said, well, that's kind of like business, pull people together to a common objective. And I said, great, I'm going to go run a business. And when I looked up, the people who did that role were called CEOs. So at 16, I said, I'm going to go be a CEO. <laughs> that's an amazing story. It's also amazing how like, one person in a somewhat random conversation right. can make such an impact on the future direction of your life. And I think you know, your book, um, which we, we you know, talked about a little bit at the introduction, you know, dives into your career. It dives into sort of the, uh, all the institutional biases that you faced uh, along the way. Um, and it also, in a very personal way, it talks about the impacts on your home life and, and your personal life um, as well. And, you know, the title of the book is very uh, telling as well. Um, maybe you can talk about, like, what message are you trying to leave, leave with your readers and maybe a little bit about um, some of the lessons along the way? Definitely. So it's interesting, Dan, because I had the whole book written and I didn't have the title yet. Oh. I knew I wanted the word ambition in it because so many times, other than early on, when you're young, ambitious is actually a good thing. You know, ambitious little girl, ambitious, that was all fine. But something happened when I got into business where suddenly ambitious took on like this negative tone. And so I'm like, that's ridiculous. So I wanted ambition squarely in the title. The unapologetic piece <laughs> that really came through as a result of conversation with friends just talking about how much women apologize. And I made the statement, I said, you know, I swear women are raised from birth to apologize. 
because yes, we apologize 5% of the time, probably when we've done something wrong, right? Like everybody does in the population. But the other 95% is basically to make everyone else feel better. We do it to show empathy, to show we care, to smooth feathers, to lighten tension. We use it kind of like salt, you know, it just makes everything a little better. And we frankly, we have to figure out how to stop doing that because people assume that we are sorry when we say it over and over again and we look weak, right? And we look all the things. I said, you know what? That's it. That's it. Unapologetically ambitious. Everyone has the right to be ambitious and we shouldn't have to apologize for it. So that is where the genesis of the title came from. And if I look through my, my whole career, ambition played a huge role in my overall success. But so did so many things. Um, so many people helped me along the way. And part of writing this book was frankly trying to be helpful to others because People look, you know, they hear these 30 minute conversations or hour conversations and it looks so easy. Oh, how did you get there? Oh, step one, step two, step three, bang, <laughs> right? Hey, it happens. I know it was that easy for you, right, Dan? I mean, oh, yeah. oh this stuff Everything is hard. Everything preordained. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I want people to know, no, this stuff is hard. It's hard. And just because it's hard for you, don't think, well, gosh, it's too hard. Since it's hard for me, it must not be for me, right? No, it's hard for everybody. And the key is to stay in the game. The key is to push forward. And I wanted to share, here are some strategies and tactics, here are ways to get through and around and over and under those obstacles that we all face. I know, by the way, you're right. I talk about personal, but I also talk about professional because I don't know how to do one without the other. I'm one person. I'm not one of these people where I kind of put on a home hat and then I put on a community hat and I put on a work hat and I'm different people. No, I'm the same person. And it was important to me to show how you have to make hard trade-offs. You've got to make key decisions. You've got to think through what are you trying to achieve collectively with those in your life that are important to you, like your life partners and your family. I mean, all of that plays a role in how you approach things and it does for everybody. So I wanted to, I wanted to share that in a way that I hoped is accessible. Yeah, I love that. The first person I heard that from this idea of you're just a whole person, work-life balance is a you know, a lot of people like to neatly try and separate those, but it doesn't happen, was Richard Branson, who basically told me, like, you know, I love to work and I love to live, and uh, and they need to be fully integrated uh, together. Um, and he really made a big impression on me, and uh, your book, like, furthers that, um, that need for us to have uh, our whole selves in both our, our work and, and our personal lives. Um, and in fact, um, your personal, your home life and your work life were really intertwined because you and your husband um, thought a lot about that. Um, and, uh, you know, in this book in many ways, you know, um, was really such a beautiful tribute to him because, you know, when he passed away, um, this past year, it was so sad uh, for all of us. You and I talked about it. Um, and your partnership with him and uh, your 
willing to be open and say, hey, I have this career right now and, you know, who's going to stay at home and help our raise our kids? And the and for him to say, I'm going to go do that, um, you know, is something that really says something about relationships and says something about partnerships. And maybe you can talk a little bit uh, about all of that. Absolutely. Because honestly, people talk about what were some of your keys to success. And oh my gosh, my husband. Absolutely. Absolutely was. I think it's one of the most important decisions, you know, we make. And what I what I tried because I am this planner and I do set goals and all that I I wanted a long-term marriage. I mean, I that's that's that was one of my goals, a long-term marriage. And therefore I wanted a life partner. And I honestly, Dan, I didn't know how to do that unless we had a common vision for what we were trying to do. So we spent a lot of time before engagement, before marriage, you know, the whole bit talking about what did we actually foresee for our future? What were we together trying to do? And so, yes, I wanted to become a CEO. So I want it for us, for me to become a CEO. And he was totally on board with that. And we talked, as you said, about kids, again, before I was engaged. Um, I talked to him about wanting somebody that would actually be willing to be home. Because I knew, you know, you look around, people who are CEOs, a lot of companies move around a lot. There's lots of trade-offs. Somebody has to have flexibility. And so he was, you know, thank God, he was willing to do that for me and for us so that it worked. And he, I can't tell you how supportive um, Scotty was. He was absolutely my number one, number one cheerleader and fan. Yeah. Yeah. He was a beautiful man. And, um, um, and you're a beautiful person. It was such a perfect uh, pairing of two people. And uh, it's really, it's inspiring. That's um, inspiring. You know, um, I think about all of the experiences you've had um, along your career and in your life. And it's interesting how you can start to help now teach and um, others uh, as a result of those experiences. And, you know, we live in a time right now that is really charged. You know, it's not just the pandemic and the economic crisis. There's a real social awakening. The death of George Floyd and so many others, like, unleashed a torrent, really, of emotion and some despair and some determination um, and really a reckoning of this sort of centuries of racial injustice. And I think, you know, from my own perspective, um, not only do all of us need to think about what we can do individually, but corporations need to, I think at least, stand up and be part of the fight uh, for racial justice, like for PayPal, for helping to close the racial wealth gap. Um, how would you advise companies and uh, employees inside those companies, CEOs, how would you advise them to think about this and, and how to react and act 
um, as a result of all of this. Yes, my my number one advice is use your power. Corporations and companies of all sizes have more power than they realize, especially in our local communities in which they operate. So if you roll the clock back, you know, the business roundtable made a very firm statement about, you know, the role of companies is yes to our shareholders, but it's also to our stakeholders who are our employees and our customers in our community. And I believe that was absolutely the right thing to do. So if you, if companies believe that, then we want to make sure that we have a community that is safe, where all people feel safe and respected and that they have opportunity because that community represents the people who are now our employees or who are our customers. So my biggest, you know, plea, if you will, in terms of the companies is use the power that you have to actually be part of driving the change to create more equity across all of it, across opportunity, across wealth, across education. I mean, there's just so many areas and not that every company has to do everything. Pick your lane. We have over, I just, matter of fact, I was just looking at this number. We have over 7 million companies that have more than two employees, right, in this country. So there is a lot of power here. And by the way, we need to partner and work with our local governments. Let them know what we expect in terms of the how we apply laws, how we apply justice equally, right, across all of these things, we should absolutely have a voice. And, you know, it's interesting over the last, honestly, you know, I would say four to eight years, CEOs have been playing more and more of a, a senior statesman type of role because we've needed that kind of leadership in this country. And I believe they should continue to play it. They represent a lot of citizens. So it is perfectly legitimate for them to play that overall role. So please use your power, make an impact, pick a lane. You have to do all of it, pick a lane and make your impact there. And please, please, please have fortitude. It took us 400 years to get here. This is not gonna be fixed in 12 months. So continue this as part and parcel of the strategy, not as something that you're doing to be nice or to be off to the side. Because if it's off to the side, it will die eventually. It needs to be part and parcel to the strategy. Yeah, I fully agree with that. I mean, I think it should be aligned with the corporation's values. Those values are enduring. Um, and this isn't a moment. It's a, it's a movement um, that we need to embrace. Um, and um, because values don't go away, they stay constant. And if inclusion or diversity are, are part of your core values as a, as a company. We need to embrace this and other uh, battles um, and take a stand. Um, and I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, Julie, I think in many ways you've answered a lot of my next question, um, but I'd like to hear a little bit more from you. You know, um, it, it's hard to be on one board, uh, you know, um, that is a, uh, that's a very difficult thing to, uh, to gain board seats in general. And you're on the board of four different uh, companies. And I know how seriously you take that role. Um, but 
on those boards, what do you think of of what your responsibility is as a board uh, member? What are the things that you are pushing the CEOs uh, of the companies on which you know you are on their board? What what are you trying to um, uh, to accomplish in the boardroom? Mm. I am very fortunate in that I serve on some just terrific company boards and. Every day, my focus is how can I contribute and help make the company even a little better, right? What can I do? And so that is, you know, the roles I play, whether it's in corporate governance, right, or I can be, whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, but it's also around, um, you know, leadership. It's around opportunity. How can I help with the perspectives and the views and the experience that I've had? to help the companies look at and think, right? Just more broadly about all of it. Because at the end of the day, these are very competent people. So I'm not in there judging or whatever. I'm just in there trying to help them get the broadest perspective they can so that when they're making decisions, when they're setting priorities, when they're putting in place strategies, right? They're doing it with the broadest set of perspective and information. I think that's one of the biggest things that you know, the directors bring, which is why it's so important to have such a variety of skills and backgrounds, et cetera, on, on a board. And you know, I'm encouraging, you know, it's I'm encouraging the boards and the companies, as I said, to continue to be leaders. Leaders not just to their community, I mean to their um, employees, but also within their communities to ensure that. You know, it's enduring because it doesn't, the company continues to do well, but your community doesn't. At the end of the day, that affects your ability to actually do well as a company. They yeah. really are tied. So oh, it is a long term strategy to indeed ensure that you are helping to strengthen the community around you. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no question about that. To me, uh, this idea of you know a purpose and profit being at odds with each other, I think they actually reinforce each other. And those companies with a purpose actually will perform better uh, at a minimum over the medium and long term uh, for shareholders. I am firmly convinced of that. I am as well, and I think and we and we see it. I mean, if you go back and you look at the data, it's it's there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's interesting for me being on, having been on a number of boards as well, is I learn as much as I give on boards. There's so many uh, interesting things to observe in different companies, points of view that you pick up from your uh, peers uh, that also are seeing multiple points of view that I think it makes uh, me a bit a better leader. Um, uh, at PayPal um, being on boards um, as well. I fully agree. It's one of the reasons why I first started in terms of serving on boards when I was a CEO, because it does that does make you better. Having that broader perspective, getting a chance, it's, uh, it's the learning opportunity to learn from others and in different situations that you can bring back to, to your situation. I think it's a good thing, frankly, for all CEOs. And frankly, I also believe for a lot of direct reports to CEOs, it's a good development experience as so that everybody wins. The company you serve on the board wins and you win. Yeah, I fully agree. So Shelley, let me um, end uh, our time together with a question that um, I end a lot of my um, 
interviews with, which is the title of Never Stand Still comes from martial arts, which is, you know, if you stand still, you get hit. Uh, and all of us, unfortunately, um, do get hit in our lives. It's part of living. It's part of being a professional um, as well. You've had no shortage of um, people that have knocked you down or experiences that you've had. I don't know if there's any one in particular that that sticks out in your mind, but I think the interesting thing for people who are watching the show is how do you deal with these very difficult situations and um, and get back up on your feet with the same amount of energy and uh, and zeal and passion that you have? Mm, that's a really good question. You know, probably the hardest hardest business one I've had was when was Metric Stream in 2009 because in 2008 first half like in first quarter they the industry analysts finally announced and named GRC governance risk and compliance as a new software category we'd been evangelizing for years mm -hmm. and finally boom the analysts say yes there's a new category and Metric Stream is a leader and it's like yes so finally our phones are ringing right? Our phones are ringing. We're like, great. We are going to invest in sales and marketing and implementation. And we are going to raise money in 2009 on the tailwinds, right? And the trajectory of the growth. And we first half right through September, we are doing great. October, November is like, ah, the world ends right with the financial crisis. We decide to fight it out. But literally, Dan, you know, come mid 2009, we, we are living on fumes. You know, talk about what the dollars, I mean, it is literally every single payroll is a bite your nails. Are we going to get enough collections to meet? It's all of that. And uh, it's just like, ah, uh, and then you have investors and I call them vultures, you know, people coming in, trying to swarm, do it. All these things are happening. And it was probably the hardest time in my professional career, because there are times literally when you go to bed and you're just like, you know what? just want to crawl in and I don't want to get out again. Right. We just, Oh my God. Um, but every morning, every morning you get up, you get out. And why is that? What drives me more than me. And I have a lot of drive mm -hmm. is actually others that are counting on me. And I had a whole team of people that opted in, you know, they are fighting for, they know where we are and what we did when we decided to fight versus fold, you know, kind of in the first quarter, right? We're all in, we're all fighting. They have families, they have kids, they have, everyone is counting on us working through this. And I have got to show up, but not just show up. I've got to show up with confidence and I've got to show up inspira inspiring and I've got to show up. So, you know what? You know, get yourself together, Shelly, because it's game time. And every morning it was literally get yourself together because it's game time. And uh, it's one of those things where you just, and then you show up and you just do it. And then that night you fall in bed, you're like, oh, <laughs> I got to do it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, we made it. You know, we made it through. And it's funny because people ask me at times, Shelly, what would you do differently, et cetera? Would you take that job at Metro? Would you go through the whole... And my honest answer is, I wouldn't change a thing. And I wouldn't change a thing because I'm, 
overall, I am happy with how things have turned out. And I believe that if I changed one thing, even one little thing, it would put me on a completely different path and trajectory. Could be better, could be worse, but I know the one that I have and I know where I've ended up. And even with all the good stuff, bad stuff, tragedies, opportunities, everything else, I'm happy with where I am in life. And I'm happy with the contribution that I'm making in life. And so I would not change a thing. Yeah. I think that's such a great point. Um, Because I was just thinking back. um, I also uh, ran a, um, a startup, Virgin Mobile, where we actually missed payroll one time. And uh, I had to bring, you know, the as a small company at the time, like about 70 of us together and say, we miss payroll because we don't have money. And I fully acknowledge that many of you may want to leave. Um, but we're going to fight through this and we're going to get through it. And I'm confident that things will work out, even though I'm still trying my hardest to make sure that happened. And going through that, and then coming out and IPOing, and you know, eventually selling the business, um, was I'm still close to all of those people because yeah. we went through a fight together that none of us will ever forget, and it was a, a really a, um, a formative experience that molded us in, in many ways. Um, that if we hadn't had that you know, we'd be different people uh, today. Um, it's hard when you're going through it. <laughs> but in hindsight, those difficult times probably mold more character than than the easier times. I fully agree. I'd like to say, you know, your challenges become your strengths. And, yeah. and it, it is absolutely true. Absolutely true. Yeah. Well, Shelly, I want to thank you for your time. Um, I encourage everybody to go out, buy Unapologetically Ambitious. It's a great book. Um, I I think it's an inspiring book. And there are tons of lessons uh, to learn from it. So, Shelly, again, thank you uh, so much and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Great. Thank you very much, Dan. I've absolutely enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you.